Another person um, I've been trying to connect with for a long time. Uh, we run into each other consistently, and I'm happy we were able to finally lock finally lock this down. Um, over the past uh, year or so, she's started her own solo career. Before that, she was in a band called Bear Axe. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> she's uh, been featured on KXP. Um, one of her singles was released through Sub Pop. Um, also, uh, one of her songs was featured on a Nordstrom's holiday campaign. Um, she's been going on tour as a solo artist lately, which is super exciting. Uh, she just has a lot of buzz around her lately. It's it's my pleasure to introduce Shayna Shepard. Hello. Hell yeah. I'm loving the hair, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Thank I mean, you. it's nothing like yours yet. You got that curl pattern on lock. Yeah, it's the, it's the, but I'm mixed. Are you mixed? No. Yeah, see, I'm that's just, why. I'm the African Islander. Yeah. See, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm black and Italian, so I think that comes, that's why. Oh, okay. You know Spicy what I mean? Look. Yeah, I like your hair though. It's it's dope. Thank you know, you. we need to. There's not enough Afros in. Seattle. Well, there's not enough black people to go <laughs> to start out with in Seattle. They call but. it out. <laughs> you can change that up a little bit, right? Um, from my understanding, you're originally from. I also listen to a lot of your podcasts. So, um, but you you've said before you don't like going into your background. But I feel like my 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 first episodes. I I I've been using this joke a lot lately. It's kind of like speed dating. You know, like yeah. um. A lot of people I know are kind of out of state at this point. So um, a lot of my guests have turned into like friends. And also I feel like the audience wants to know about people's backgrounds. Um, so unfortunately, we're going to have to cover a little bit about your background no, for the, the people, <laughs> for the people I mean, that don't know you. <laughs> um, uh, from an article, though, it says that you were born and raised in Tacoma. Is that is that a, is that a fact? That's factual. OK. And how long did you live in? Tacoma when you were when you were born and raised um I was flipping between New York City and Tacoma my whole life wow so I mean it's like a hard thing I feel like it's like unpacking a lot of my every time I get asked that question over the years I've been unpacking trauma in my music and which is why I'm there mm -hmm. but also it makes it hard to like revisit things that feel so incomplete for me like these questions of I felt like a wanderer for a long time is, right. the, is the case as a child, you know, so that idea of home is something I've been circling in music. And so I feel like weird being like, I'm from, mm. you know, I've just, and that's kind of why I moved here. I moved to Seattle. That's kind of why I moved to Seattle is because I was like, this feels like this land of opportunity where I could really start over and really like build whatever home means for me as a person, not just like in work or music or career, just like for me as a person. And so right. I've just been repping. Seattle tough because of that. But do you think it's more easy to start over as a person in Seattle versus like as an artist? I mean, no, it was just, it's all about when the lesson comes to you in your life. You know, mm. I wouldn't say Seattle ge geographically was easy for <laughs> any black girl <laughs> to yeah. live in. So what about New York? Is that like, I've been to New York and, but I never really, when I was there, I never really thought about diversity. I guess there's probably diversity. It's a busy ass city, but like, do you feel you're saying that you're you're Seattle based now but do, from Tacoma to New York do you think you felt more at home in one place than another for, due to like diversity well, in New York I was like I mean my family is very religious mm. and 
I didn't really experience any cultural uh, identity outside of my home and my church at all growing up. Yeah. Like I was like going to school and at home or going to church and at church and going to sleep. And mm. so, you know, I have like so many friends like from high school that I when I started having friends because wow. I didn't have any for a while. But in high school in Tacoma. I'll be your friend. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Um, just like being able to like rep the streets, rep the community, um, know the spots. Like I don't have that experience growing up. That's right. just I mean, anywhere just because of that way, the way that I was raised. So, so you're I, raised in your religion in New York as well. Yeah. That's crazy. That's like a, so you're in a bubble in either place though. That's just floating. Wow. Yeah. That's wow. I feel like that's, that's interesting. Cause I feel like whenever I've moved, I'm not saying I've moved a lot. I feel like it's just a total different experience. But to move somewhere and it be the same experience, that's kind of... Right. Well, I mean, not the same, just bigger, louder. Everybody's saying this place is scary on both sides. And then, you know, on the Tacoma side, there was more focus on community at church, like for Mm -hmm. sure. Like my parents were very into our church community, like the force of that. Like these have to be your people. These have to be your friends. Mm. That was kind of like a, uh, wait a second though. (laughs) So did you go to like church camps and stuff growing up? No, just at the at the church. No. Okay, we were poor. We didn't go to no camp. We were right. poor. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. So, are you still religious? I'm f- uh, fundamentally faithful. I'd say. What does that mean? Like you believe in God? Is that? I do believe in God. Oh yeah. Got it. So, but barracks would that be considered like Satan music to your church um, or no? No, I think that like. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's hard because I definitely faced a lot of changes in my life and in my world after I did that song, after I did that project, because all of a sudden I was definitely my parents, my family, they had to they had to adapt and reap the repercussions of me doing that project. And so mm-hmm. that was a hard transition for me. But I'd say it's more like, you know, that was maybe the Pablo record and college dropout would be my like coming into music. And now I'm working on. Yay. You know what I mean? It's just like it's process of like, like what like you're... current. Yay. Like White Lives Matter. Yay. Like what he just oh did yesterday. God. No, whoa, 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 whoa. not yay. I'm talking about the record. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> I but I also that's his, his his albums also. I say say it's like a direct like. Um, image of who he is in that current moment yeah so like absolutely. W- that bipolar album what is it called i love being bipolar that was him like really talking about mental health right. and the album was all over the place and then um was that called yay though or was the like colorado cover was that called yeah yay? what it's called yay. but it says i love being bipolar on on the cover yeah got it yeah um but currently like him as like the entity of yay did you see what he did yesterday did i miss something he Let's did like a B- Balenciaga fashion show. Oh no, walk, I saw that. And he said like, "Oh, white lives matter," and then he was going in about how um, black lives. I think he was talking about the organization. He's just such a. It's so, in my opinion, like he has so much to say, but he's such a bad vessel for like. Oh, that's interesting. Any serious topic, like he just is so bad at like. <laughs> right, I think that. Well, that's the thing. Everybody hates Kanye now, and I don't have i'm just stoic i'm a stoic so for me it's not like bad or good or good or wrong right or wrong Mm -hmm. in a lot of situations especially this it's like this person this is a person whose art form has been uh has completely engulfed his entire life and his existence Mm. that's a lesson don't let that happen that's a good point holy Um, shit i deal with that right now right figuring out am i a person or a podcast you're a person <laughs> i guess thank you You have you. to have balance to yeah. everything that we do or else you know you're married to kim kardashian and decides that she wants to have a black husband or a big butt five seconds you know yeah. i judged i mean i'm just saying it's like everybody's in their moment and if i judge somebody right now i can change my mind later it doesn't have to always be the same you know right. i just like to evolve with people evolve with the time you know and 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 those these kind of artists like Kanye West who who allow a self-centered perspective to sharpen their focus on their craft. 
um, they're toxic people. Yeah. Would I want to like, you know, have a coffee with them? Absolutely, I would because yeah. I would like to be there to learn, and then I want to go home. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And be and be in my home with my people. By the way, you did like perfect podcast mic angle. Like most people have to be like, wait, you gotta <laughs> just do all this. So. This is like I know how mics work. I mean, there, that's what I. There we go. go. And try something on a on a black level because there's not a lot of um, uh, Seattle artists that are black, especially females. Do you ever feel like if you get on like a microphone, whether it's musically or like on an interview, that there's a stand and you have to like uphold? Absolutely. Yeah. I represent uh, more than myself. I represent my family's legacy, the legacy of my work, the energy source. Some people, some people celebrate and are super religious, and some people uh, go out and they're like, "I'm a witch now," and you know all that mm. stuff. Everybody has their the sources in which they tap into. And uh, my source is fundamentally faithful. Like I said before, it is coming from the lessons and the love that I've had in my life and an emulation of the people that I respect um, and using those pieces as a guide for myself to who know who I am and say what I am. And it's going to make me an outlier all the time. But um, I think that if I was going to come up here and be like, yeah, I'm having a bad day. I'm off. Um, you know, I have a cigarette hanging out of my mouth. I'm <laughs> super hungover. I've like eyelash stuck in my face. You know, it's okay to not be okay and have a bad day. Um, but some people can get away with that more than others because in this environment, people who watch that and watch me do that will not only judge me, uh, definitely won't be judging my art because they won't care. Most right. of them are only looking at me anyway because my hair looks like this, my makeup's on point, and like I'm talking consistently warm, docile tones, I suppose. They're not going to care about me. All they're going to do is take an opportunity to break down my sisters. Hmm. And that's that's uh, what I think about. Does it, you think, But not everyone has to think that way, which is kind of... That's not so for everybody. To, that's just who I am. That's how I think. Right, but I feel like, especially being in a city where it's mostly white people, it's something you definitely have to think of more. Can I tell than... you something I shouldn't say? So the other day I went out, and a, um, a person that I appreciate because they appreciate my craft, mm -hmm. and they go to my shows and stuff. Um, they came up to me, they were lit, and they were like, they're a white man, which is cool. I love white men. White power, am I right? <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> I'm regretting this. <laughs> I'm regretting this so much. <laughs> anyway, he comes up and he's like, Black Seattle doesn't fuck with you. I was like, what? Okay, I'm going to just ignore this is happening. He, but he wanted me to know. Right, he right. needed me to know. And I, this person, he definitely knows about Black Seattle and the music culture. He definitely has done the work of going to the shows, buying the records, being a part of the scene. Like, he's done that. And that's not where I come from, though. I'm not, you know, I'm not out here like a rapper. I'm not out here like making R&B music. Like, I'm just myself, just doing whatever I want. Yeah. Anyway, and I was looking at my friends, like, all my, there was a whole bunch of black men around, friends of mine. And I was like, gave him the auntie side eye, like, y'all gonna let him talk to me like that? Y'all gonna let him talk to me like that? And they were like, all of them were like, uh, we're gonna just see how this plays out. Mm. And at the end of, through that conversation, I was like so hurt. I was so hurt because I feel like I don't necessarily fuck with black Seattle. Right. I fuck with black people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe black Seattle in that context doesn't fuck with black people. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's a question for black Seattle. Yeah. You know, I just feel like I really just want to be in environments where we can Keep continue to move and progress forward towards unilateral equality, um, and not forget about that because of where we are in our moment. Right, I agree with that. Like I've also, um, growing up, I thought it was more important to be like myself instead of like worry about race. But literally since COVID, the amount of times like people have to go out of their way to like say something that makes me remember that I'm black. I'm not saying I don't remember that I'm black. It's just like it just takes me out of it. Like takes me aback for a second right. for example there's been a there's been a ton like to the point i should journalize journal like the weird comments people make 
or mm. something like whether it's like at a like a house party where like someone's like I'm so happy this person isn't here because they're Mexican. I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, you know how Mexicans can be, you know, something like that. Or like the other day, um, I don't live where I, where I grew up anymore, but I, I visit there a lot. Right. And like (laughs) randomly my, my friend has a membership to orange theory (laughs) at this place. (laughs) Right. So yesterday I'm walking to orange theory and He's like, he's like, oh, I'd like to buy some more packages or whatever. And then this older white lady looks at me and she's like, would you like to buy a package too? And I'm like, oh, I don't live here. I, I live about an hour away from here. So it doesn't make sense for me to drive all the way to this location. And they're like, oh, is it a money thing? I'm like, oh. what? Or like this other person. Who asked that? That is so rude. <laughs> or this other person. I was like. She'd be like, you going to give me some? <laughs> Why you asking? You going to give me some? This other person was like. Um, thought they thought that um i lived on like rainer ave because they're like you know that's where all the black people live <laughs> like jesus christ <laughs> so there's just like all these weird like comments that i've been okay you convinced me i'm never going to orange theory ever <laughs> yeah don't go to orange theory if i got under orange theory <laughs> that all those instances happen there's an orange theory house when this <laughs> yeah it's oh. just I don't know. Like, I love stereotypes as much as the next person. They're funny sometimes. True. But, like, also to to realize that people actually believe a lot of stereotypes. And, like, I'm just like, holy shit. Or, like, another example on Friday, even though no one knows what day we're recording this, we're, like, in a black box room. So, like, it's not like we don't even know what time it is or anything. Mm-hmm. But whatever Friday this was, even though this was last Friday, um, I... uh I was walking down the street in Pioneer Square, like right after the Mariners game, and this person that I don't associate with anymore, but we don't have any issues. So if they say hi, I'm gonna say, oh, hi, right? Right. We were walking down this, it's a black guy, and we're, we're, I was walking down the street with my friends, and he's like, Blake. Okay, we're already in trouble. So I was like, okay. So I was like, oh, hey, man. He's like, what are, you, what are you guys up to? We're like, oh, we're going over here. And then they start following us, right? And then we walk past this police station, and there's a, white police officer and a black police officer just hanging outside the police station and the black guy just makes like a comments like hey do you know who's in the restaurant over there and it was like some famous NBA player and he made that comment because the black guy that approached me that I had known in my past was wearing a sports jersey right so it was very but which team was it it was like it was like a Sonic. It was the Sonics. Okay, well that's yeah. so it was very. It was, there was nothing. It, it was no problem whatsoever. Literally, the cop was like, "Oh, a player that was on the Sonics is in that restaurant over there," and the guy wow. was like, "And the guy was like, oh, that's dope." So we continued walking, and then out of nowhere, the 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 black guy that I don't associate with anymore turns around and looks at the black police officer. Is like, "Wait, how many black people have you killed?" I was like, "What <gasps> the fuck?" Oh my god. <laughs> And then he starts out of nowhere. Like, he, he came up to me, like, very nice. I was like, okay, I'll give this guy a shot. I really don't talk to this guy anymore. But within seconds of me interacting with this guy, he had turned around and took out his phone and was like, maybe I can make a viral moment out of this. Oh and took God, out his phone so and started cool. to, like, try to egg on the, the police officer. And I was like, holy shit. So I, Toxic. I try to, like, I do make a lot of race jokes. And I think people see that, which is fine. But, like, like deep down, I really don't care about race, but like amount of times I've been like seeing race being brought up in Seattle lately is just like. Well, it's because it's because this city is so white, so, so very, very, very white that it's almost like a colonialism kind of movement where they didn't even notice that there were other people like mm. they don't there's like most of the people who are our bosses, our bus drivers, who serve our kids lunch, most of them haven't had an experience where they're the only person of their color in the room. Right. Like in their life. How crazy is that? Yeah. Being a brown person in America, it's like never, that's never ever your experience unless you're like deep in Atlanta or something. Yeah. You know? And so they're all like, oh my God, you guys, I just saw this thing on the internet. I think there should be like more of a different type of person maybe yeah 
And so that's like this thing that we're all having to deal with. It's a traumatic experience for people of color in this region that some people, some white people are like helping to change that. And some people are like, I'm down for the cause, which is all you got to really do. Yeah. And some of them are not. And so it's like one of those situations where it's like people want to make each other the enemy, but really it's just being able to see where each other are in the pro progression of dealing with this trauma. That's a traumatic experience for a white person. Yeah. Like, oh wait, I'm the problem and my mom's mom was a problem? Like, yeah. That's a lot, you know? Yeah, but I also want us to go to a, be in a place where we can just move forward and be somewhat like, you know, equality. Right. It's just not yeah. done. We're just yeah. impatient creatures, humans. Yeah. You know. So anyways, you, uh, you grew up in New York and oh my God, Tacoma. Are still doing this? You thought we were going to avoid this? <laughs> I wasn't avoiding anything. I'm just like, it's so okay. boring to me. Okay, to talk so, about. and then you decided to go to music school. Mm -hmm. And was that out of state? At first, no. I went to Central at first. Honestly, I went to music school because I didn't know what else to do. I uh, just, in high school, I was like a burnout that didn't know about drugs and alcohol because I was so religious. A burnout, you said? Like a burnout is like somebody who doesn't really care. You know, you're just like just going through the motions or whatever. Like a square person or what do you mean? A square? Not necessarily. Burnout, I feel like, is speaks more to um, motivation. Okay. You know, like I just wasn't very motivated. Like Got I did it. really good in school because yeah. I, you know... I was really blessed with my family and like the support of my my sisters and stuff. So I did well in school. It was easy actually. Mm -hmm. But um, when I left, I mean, I the only thing I had ever excelled at was music in school. And so I was like, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. Mm. Uh, but I didn't have any money or anything, so I just went to like you know the state school, you know, and just went to a music program and um, found classical music again. And that was my really when I started to like think about music again for myself and be passionate about something was learning about the history behind a lot of classical composers and then finding the anthropological connections between um, uh, black composers, black singers, and then focused on pedagogical connections of like how the human body works and how people's bodies are different, how they can be conditioned in what ways. And so then I was like, word, OK, I think I'm finding mm. what I want to do. Transferred to NYU, finished there, moved back here, and here we are. There we go. So what was it like realizing there's a lot of black composers that aren't given any credit? It was life-changing. Hmm. Very life-changing, yeah. I mean, I didn't come from the perspective of black music being American music until I learned about black composers from the 1800s and 1900s and then that I mean I'm looking at it from a textbook perspective it's very different than a lot of people have where I'm like oh the next chapter is the 1920s mm. what happened there whoa what happened here in 1940s so you know you start to see the connections there of like American roots music country music those are things that I explored early off when I was learning about you know as a songwriter like what kind of music inspires me like old stuff like tanya tucker like what was popular in this year that's where those kind of references came from for me right then moving into rock and roll i was like word okay now we're getting into some real severe colonialism and that's making me have an emotional reaction of anger mm. and so i channeled that as a songwriter just because more so where i was in my life in my early 20s was like ready to start doing something with the things i was learning so is barracks your first group then or were you yeah so from going from classical to rock, how did that switch come? Like, did you do you have any music or anything composed that's classical? Yeah, I before mean, before barracks. Oh, before barracks. Yeah. Oh no, I didn't start writing writing by myself until like the pandemic. Like, I never was really writing at all. I was just focused on like singing and singing as an instrument, and focused on training my instrument as best that I could. Mm. I mean, now I let it all go, slip and slide and whatever. But there was a time in my life where I would wake up every day at 6 a.m. and I would start warming up. I The most important part of the day was the time that I could go to my voice lesson and uh, never would not drink, would not smoke, would not experience life at all, actually, if, I, if it was going to de derail me from my my routine of being the best singer I could, but because it was a competitive environment. Right. Um, at school, you're saying? Or, or just hmm? in, at school or in general? 
Were you saying? In general. Got it. In school, at church. Absolutely. It's like, right. you know, it's almost like, it's like sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got your music bug from church? Or yes. Got it. You like That's like gospel music, correct? Mm-hmm. And do you still like gospel music? Do you like Kanye's I gospel music? I just listened music? to Andre Crouch on the way here. I don't even know who that is. Oh, he's an amazing gospel composer. Incredible. His work from 1982 to 1987, that is at the birth of modern day hip hop, that record. Because that record yeah. uh, informed Kirk Franklin, who was probably the, one of the best known crossover gospel artists ever. Mm. And Fred Hammond, who had like, was like at the time was like the crossover of like R&B of the 1980s to 1990s and like that whole R&B sound that was all starting in the church. Right. And like that same tradition continues today, like Adam Blackstone, Ty Tribbett, um, you know, a Kendrick, like these are all church cats that are like using that same methodology to like build stuff in a church environment where you can really focus in on like acoustic music being a point of fellowship and collaboration. And then you just take that and put it on the record and then people be spitting stuff on top. But right. So is like music history important to you, like still or? Nah, I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, yeah, yeah. Right. I guess I'm kind of. It depends on the genre and stuff, but I can get really into that as well. So, were you out of college when you when you created Barracks, or were you the creator of Barracks, or just like a member that joined, or how did that? Because you're the lead s- singer of. Barracks. Yeah, I guess I was like the member that joined, kind of. I mean. Well, okay, so super religious, blah, 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 blah. I was married. I got married young. You got, got married? Should I have said that? Probably wow. Should have said that. Please don't use that as a clip. <laughs> <laughs> please don't use that as a clip, please. No. My mom would be very upset. Yeah, a few of my, one of my <laughs> guests that I did not think was married at a young age was married too. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Wait, so why'd you get <laughs> Go on. <laughs> He's are, he's like, are you okay? <laughs> Why why did you get married at a young age? I just, you know, just what you do. No, it's not. for me, yeah. Nineteen's young. I mean, nineteen's old to get married for a lot of women in my world. Well, it depends how when you were born. Like my grandma got married at like twelve. I'm right? trying to tell you, super religious environment. Okay, like it's so you just, just wore like different dresses all day is that yes like... i never had a pair of jeans until after i was really i grew up in a pentecostal church see i don't even know what th- is that like something pentecostalism is that like part of like i'm not really religious i'm not gonna spend this time talking about pentecostal okay but it's like christian or something it's or no. very christian but it's like one of like the super like okay so pentecostalism is like they believe you get married at 19 not everybody that was just my you know there's like religious background and then there's like cultural background and then there's family background like okay. everything can you know compresses into the way your nuclear family it helps you decide what you want to think the nuclear family right you know that's yeah can't put that on pentecostalism or whatever got it you know but it was like it wasn't like a given that you were gonna get married young in that church yeah. absolutely not that okay. was just like a combination of other things was it I, like i honestly if you wanted the real answer i was in love and i thought that it was time it was not know. it was not time it was not even love. <laughs> how old would you say? Well, I guess that's that's all relative. Also, I was gonna say how old should someone get married at? But that's all relative. That's up to you. I mean, right? I mean, <laughs> Wait. So, how long were you? Are you? You're not married. Right I'm not now. married. How long were you married? A while. Really? Like years or like months? Or years. Like... Yeah. Okay. Really? I wow. mean, not since I've been here in town. No. Yeah, I've had the amount of people that come into this studio, like client-wise, so. I feel like this is free promo, so it's not like I don't think they'd get mad at me saying this, but like my new client just wrote a book about their open marriage that led to divorce, and they're mm-hmm. coming in here to turn their book into an audio book. So I want to, and they already booked like twelve Aren't they sessions. Their own book? Yeah, wow, so I'm about to <laughs> be in this room <laughs> for twelve or more hours listening to like. <laughs> the roller coaster ride. Oh my of... god! Can I come? <laughs> sounds fun. <laughs> so, but you've talked about divorce in your in your music before, right? Yeah. So you're open about this. Besides, just it's not. This isn't like breaking news on the. This Nats is not podcast. breaking news, but it's not relevant, like to me. Uh, not 
I this is my thing. I get sensitive about the idea that our relationships because we just live in such this like social media culture where it's like we wanted to get to know you. Me, I'm not driven by that. I'm so reference driven. I'm like, what do you think? What do you read? What are you looking at? Like, and so me talking about my personal life has always been uncomfortable for me. Um, I don't want to disrespect my ex-husband or make my family feel any type of way because that's my home and this is my job. Can I ask how old you are? Absolutely not. No? Google it. Google it? Do you have a Wikipedia? I think so. Really? That'd be Don't change it. (laughs) (laughs) Married at night. If it's not in there. Oh my God. No. Oh my Lord. They're going to reference this interview. This is regret. So you got married young and formed Barracks or Well yeah, I got divorced, ran away from my like whatever I thought was life or whatever and was like, I'm gonna start over. I'm gonna be in a rock band because I had this. Wait, Channel one more question two. then. Wait, so what were you doing? Like what was your full time job at that time? When I left my Before like while you were married and like out of like when you were fresh out of college and you were married? Uh I was married. Oh, so you're like a stay at home like, wife? Yeah. Did you like that? How do, what do you think? <laughs> right. Um, I I wouldn't say that. I uh, I would like that again. It's not about the circumstance. It was about just the relationship between that person is why I left, right. and that changes me. It changes people. Yeah. It changes your priorities and what you want to be known for. And so I was like, yeah, I need to be able to say my truth and. I wasn't necessarily trying to become like a, a like a well-known, regionally well-known singer. I wasn't trying to do that. I just was trying to make music and yeah. and have those moments of catharsis. Um, and then it just happened like that. Like I went on, I went on Craigslist. Oh wow! It was like looking for stuff, like gigs, like just trying to find a jam in town in Seattle, and um, found some guys who became like my whole life for three years after that. And we did bear acts and we, they were already in this band called tragic clam. Oh my God. And they met me and I was like, yeah, let's just do something else. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dang. So you, so you gigged, like did you go on tour and stuff with bear acts or? Okay. So what was that like? Like how long did it take for you to start getting gigs with this new band? I think it was easy actually. You know why? Because you know why? Because this this town used to before the pandemic, oh, I can't believe I have to say that. BC before COVID, that's, yeah, that's what we BC. say. Before COVID, there was this really amazing um, revolution of mid-sized venues that were owned by local folks, hmm. and it was just like little dive bars that actually had great traffic, and so there was like that over the years like way before this there's always been like that funnel or whatever you're like you start you go to an open mic and then you get booked at a small venue open it up for somebody and then you get to a point where you're headlining a small your neighborhood can you headline your neighborhood and then can you headline somebody else's neighborhood and then okay cool what kind of what is the product because now that's all just about yourself and your artistry and building a community around your music but so now we're selling things so we're going to big venues like you know numos or you know grow when we were coming up me and barracks those guys and i we were like oh one day we'll we'll play at numos and that was like a dream mm-hmm. you know and because you know but we would grind like because you could because there were so many more venues open in town than there are now like mid-sized venues so you could like do it the same way that you do it in on the east coast or any other place but you want to saturate like, yourself or would you still? Well, it's not though, because it's just gigging. Like people think, I feel like people get like confused, like confused being here in Seattle, which is why I like, I love it here, but I, you got to go out of town because in, uh, you know, California or you can just get in the car and drive, you know, for like five, six days and see a whole new audience any day of the week, mm-hmm. any day of the week. And then on the East Coast, you could live in New York City and never step. Uh, you know, step out of the city and have a gig every day of the week and never have a different audience if you want. Mm. And in the middle of the country, like, you know, Denver, Kansas City, all those things, you can go to this. People go to the same club every day, every week and they wait in the same line. They pay the same 15, 20 dollars to see the same band slay. And that kind of happens here. It was like two or three mid range, uh, mid level uh 
um, venues that have been able to thrive, even though this has become such a crazy environment. Uh, it just always changing up in here in Seattle. But a couple of venues have been able to continue to thrive. And so you see house bands that form, house bands that like maintain a great night of music and house bands that continue to build new audiences because people just think, I'm gonna go to the Sea Monster on Friday nights and see if I can do death. Hey, I have my family in town. What should we do? Go dancing at Sea Monster Friday night. Because it's just like the rep repetition. And a lot of these venues, like they're trying to have that. Like one venue I think that's doing really well at that right now is Supernova, mm -hmm. where their focus has been just like trying to have the, be consistently open and have consistent programming because that builds trust, not just with the with your demographic slash your cultural community, because it's two different things, right, right. but also with the corporate mindset of like, what am I doing as a company to be a part of the, the landscape um, of this area, you know? Anyway, when we were doing that, I could, we could do that. We could go to Tim's Tavern once every two weeks and we would, that small room held maybe 50, 60 people and that would be full every week. And mm -hmm. it only took like two or three times because we were crazy. We were, I was like getting wasted. I was ripping my clothes off, like a titty's popping out. <laughs> Matt's jumping up on a table. We're all just drinking brown liquors until three o'clock at night and kicking it with absolutely everybody. And that was just the way that we were living our lives at that time. But then the pandemic happens, right? And it's like how many? Like how long you're doing this for? Three years before the pandemic? I mean, not that night every day for three years, but <laughs> <laughs> um, mm, when did Barracks start? Barracks started 2016. You dropped an album in 2018, right? Yeah, okay. dropped our album in 2018. Started at the end of 2016, and then we ended or paused, whatever, uh, after the 2020. So. Really short project, if you think about it. Mm. Pretty short. But you guys like all close still or no? Oh, no. No? No. So it was like a bad breakup or something? It wasn't a bad breakup. It was like a Seattle breakup where it's like, yo, uh, I feel like my mom told me I can't hang out with you right now. Oh. This is the, I mean, the pandemic was wild. I mean, it was, everybody was probably, everybody was going through some stuff. Myself included. Especially myself. Tra changes. Yeah. And dealing with uh, everything, you know, there's a lot of forgiveness that needed to be handed out to each other before we knew what to do next. Conversations, being able to actually go back and be like, how are you doing? And how were you doing? And like, sorry, I wasn't be able, able to be there for you on multiple points for everybody. So, we well, I don't know, maybe we'll do something again. Maybe. Maybe. Looking in the camera and say, hey, I miss you. <laughs> you already know, so. <laughs> you already know. Do you think people have tried to like brush off their past with like COVID and feel like they can like start anew? Absolutely. Do you think that's healthy or no? I think you always have to have accountability to the way you treat others. Yeah. But you can change your you can change your skin. I do it. Listen, you're, I feel like you're coming for me again. I feel no, like no. I will re uh, I'll reinvent myself any day of the week if I want to. This is my life. Yeah. The only person I have at the end of the day is me. That's it's my journey. And that's a and look, God, something I hope for Jesus Christ. Well, that's a more of a different story. Oh. I don't know. We want to get there. I mean, accountability to the self is accountability to the earth. And accountability to the earth is accountability to the creator. So at the end of the day Aliens. Right? Do you believe like aliens created Earth and there were like a test I mean, project? God is kind of an alien. Well, I don't know, because some people say God's within you, so that means an alien's within you? Maybe. You seen Men in Black? Have you seen E have you seen have you heard Katy Perry's song E. T.? It's like Kanye's like, I'm a probe you. Oh my god, I hate this. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I just I, I guess aliens and God is what you make it. Who is that? God? Who is God? Oh, Katy Perry. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, what happened? Yeah, what? That's crazy. I wonder what happened to Katy Perry. That's insane. Whoa. What do you mean what happened to her? When is the last time she's like released anything? Who cares? Is she a, she's probably a mom, I'm guessing. Probably. Yeah. I mean, she probably has some, I don't know. I'm not talking about Katy Perry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you want? Um, do you have a favorite meal that your grandma or mom cooks you? Um...
Flat you're about cheese? to explode. Okay. Oh, no, we all have our own jobs. We all have our own meat, our own dish in my family oh, that we make. I can I can cook oatmeal. That's cool. I don't even know how to do that. I eat oatmeal every single day. Wow. Yeah. Well, I do like pancakes sometimes. Okay, you're like good. a breakfast person. I'm a total breakfast person. I feel you. But some breakfast places charge too much. Like I have like a whole system in Seattle about like if you want breakfast, we don't want to spend too much. Go here. If you're right. like if you're like oh I feel like spending money, I'll go here. But like I, I don't I'm never I, I'll never be like oh I want dinner, oh. or like I want yeah I'm definitely a breakfast. You're like person. a breakfast for dinner kind of a person. Yeah, and then See, dinner's I always just, more expensive too. I'm not really down for breakfast like that. I'm like really? word efficiency fuel. Let's go. Like you're and never then, going to breakfast and like oh. Sh- well, it depends on where you're going, but you never go to breakfast being like, "Oh shit, I might spend two hundred dollars on pancakes." But like, I mean, you know, like to yesterday, my friend somehow convinced me to go get Italian food with him, and I was like, "You know, this is about to be expensive." You probably love that. I I like it. I I'm kind of I don't I'm not a pasta guy. We'll see. Okay, now remember what we were saying earlier. That hurt me to say that to you. But you were talking about stereotypes and tropes. And you're earlier. like, you wop. You... <laughs> I just want to see what it was like for you. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I guess I guess stereotypes are food, too. I guess I could have been like, I know what you like your grandma making you fried chicken. but Right. And the answer is? But I, yes. Hell yeah. Yeah. I guess that is a good point. Huh. But Change I never get offended by a tap. I don't know if that's good or bad then. I never get really offended if someone makes a joke about Italian stuff oh really huh? that's, that's like a thing i'm not gonna go off and do a whole super mario impression or anything but yeah everybody has their thing we all like to poke at each other like yeah mom talking with their hands and and all that right um so you you let's get back on track oh yeah so macaroni and cheese that's what we're talking that's just no, the just track <laughs> <laughs> so so, yeah, <laughs> so so basically um um so you had you you broke up with barracks um whether you guys get back together the world may never know um then you started a solo career but you started your solo career in 2019 2020 it was i thought you said what what does start a solo career even mean like you started writing you said i started writing solo writing because i feel like yeah well for me it's like it's a process because i started in jams really like jamming is like a big part of my life and my creative process like mojam yeah like mojam yeah I like we I host a jam at um Sea Monster on Monday nights. So it's like the perfect little like go to Mo Jam, go to the other thing with the guys from Reposado. And like just being a part of jams and being an environment as like working with spoken word artists as um colleagues, you know, mm. and then being like a, a melodic person, you know, that's kind of been my world. So I've been like kinda like writing like little whoopsie doopsies, you know, for a long time. And I started doing like I did my first ever solo show. I opened for Evan Flory Barnes at Abbey Arts, which was crazy. This was pre-pandemic. Who's that? Evan Flory Barnes is one of the best bass players that ever came out of this town. Out of this town? Mm-hmm. Should I have him on the podcast? Yeah. Oh, he blow your mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you can survive it. He literally is one of the most interesting people. Uh, yeah, and he's a really, really great player, an incredible composer and writer too. And I've been, I just look up to him so much. And at that point it was like this big deal of like, wow, I can't believe I'm opening for him. So I spent like, it was just like, why am I even doing this? Like I'm like never, never did a show in my life. I have like three little songs I've written in my house. Like, yeah. So then I was like, okay, I want to do this. So let's write at least let's write a whole set. Mm-hmm. Cause that's, you know, the way my mind works, like we'll do a whole set of music and then we'll just start from there. And then it just kept going from there. Got it. So it's starting to make sense then why you you've been gaining the success with the solo career because you've put in all this work with going to music school and then um, being in barracks. So it's like the like overnight success isn't really. I think people. I think I, I like to point out to wow, people, people like, seem um, like an overnight success. That's wild. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people think of you that way. Really? Yeah, I'd say so. What else do they think? They think you're black. That's we got that right. Um. Guess I, yeah, this is uh, this is happening really fast for me. It is. Yeah, but it's preparation. I'm so I always try to use this quote, and I just can't. I just know how to say it. What is it? Preparation something meets success. Preparation age. Preparation age. What? No, you know when they say. See, I try to be like 
quote full on this podcast. No, 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 and I, I just, uh, it's something about preparation meets opportunity or whatever it is or success. Right. You know what I mean? Actually. So I feel like you've, especially if you include school, what? That's like eight, that's like four to eight years or whatever of musicality or more, right? Yeah, music has always been. So, so it's just not, been the center of my life my whole life. Yeah. So I don't know if it's happening fast. It's happening at the right time, I guess. Would you say it's the right time for I you? Know. I have no idea. I can't see the end of this of this huh. road. Well, that's good, right? That means you're not washed up. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um, so you released like how many? So you released like two singles or something, and then people saw that and you got into like Nordstroms and. All that? Or like, were those your first, were your cover singles the first singles? No, you released Haram, Haram, Haram? Harambe. Harambe. Swahili. So it is Harambe, like the monkey. Wow. <laughs> right? Harambe is a Swahili word. That means let's come together. It's part of, uh, it's a part of the celebration of Kwanzaa. Oh, so it's not about like the monkey it's that dragged the kid. The, it's not the gorilla who murdered a child. But some people get that mixed up, right? None of my business. Okay. <laughs> that song I wrote that for um my sister during the pandemic Christmas. It was like our celebration of Kwanzaa. Do you think the zoo was wrong for that though? For what? Shooting Harambe. Probably should have. Mm. Mm. I mean knock if you bug. So you are Kwanzinian or? Wow. Well, I'm going to bring you a couple books. <laughs> I'm just, in, I'm a black American. I like to celebrate being a black American when I can. So Kwanzaa is the one that looks like the menorah, but it has, right. let me guess how many candles. Six? Nine? It's pretty cute. Yeah. Nine? Well, listen to the song because you'll find out. Dreidel. No. Kwanzaa, Kwanzaa, Kwanzaa. No, no, not that one. Harambe. The gorilla song. Got it. Oh no, I have listened to it, but I need to listen to it again. Okay, I mean it's really bad. I like it was my first time ever doing production. It's oh, so you're a producer song. too? Well, I mean, listen, <laughs> that was the the deep BC or whatever. So I mean, deep pandemic. So like there was no body to work with, and I had this little thing. So I just like wanted to make it, and I really would like to re-record that song um, for choir. It's designed for choir. Ooh, that'd be sick. Voices. So I'd like to just re redo it, uh, maybe like next Christmas or something. That's awesome. So, how? But you released like probably like four singles and like started gaining success pretty, pretty yeah. rapidly with that. And was that just you releasing it out to the world, or did you have like a marketing plan for these songs? Yeah, absolutely. Um, for my first solo release, it was the virus, mm -hmm. and I just like wrote it and produced it with my friend Andrew Jin. Um, we like put a lot of time and work into like the extended version of the song, which is the real version of the song. Mm. I don't really like, I mean, I don't know. It's like, maybe somebody wants to cut it up and sample just like the regular version or whatever. But other than that, it doesn't really tell a full story without the extension mm -hmm. for me. Um, but then he introduced me to Guy Keltner, who's like my homie, real good friend of mine. This is all in the pandemic, people meeting each other for the first time, mm -hmm. which was fine. And, um, he was running this label, Freak Out Records. They were trying to do an expansion of their label. And they were like, you want to put this song out on our label? And I was like, sure. And that brought me into like this whole music community of, of Freak Out folks and um, like more of a North Seattle uh, vibe of like DIY that I was, mm -hmm. that Barracks was always on the outskirts of um, as a rock band. So right. then, you know, I started work. I just, I like marketing. I like doing that kind of work. I like focusing my energy on um, like, okay, cool. This is something sp special. How do I sell it and not touch what it is? Right. You know? So those are the lessons I've been learning over the past couple of years. And I think me being really like focused on learning those lessons has brought me in spaces where people who are the teachers um, have, you know, helped me get my music out. And I've been working on, I mean, work on music every day. Like yeah. I, I know it's just trying to figure out the right time and the white, the right way to share the things that I've been building is, right. is still a lesson that I'm trying to learn right now. So you're, you've released a single through Sub Pop and 
freak out. But does that mean you're assigned to either of those or are you just nope. associated with them? And are those are those either places that you want to be assigned to or how does that even work? I mean, this is like the independent art, artist stage. And I think that um, it's important to think about where do I want to go at the end of the day? You know, like I would rather have really great friendships, relationships and creative um, collaborations with people who work at those labels, mm -hmm. continue to learn and grow from each other, than be focused on like an A and R to artist relationship as long as I can until I'm at a point where it's like, okay, now I'm under, now I am a brand, you know, like Shabazz Palaces, that's a brand and a man, mm -hmm. and I think that that particular artist has a good a good job at separating those things. To a point where an upper, uh, a label like Sub Pop can support them really well. Um, but at this time, it's like, okay, I made a song, I made a project, like let's let's sell it, right. let's sell it together, let's sell this product, as opposed to like, okay, cool, well, if I was ready and had like you know, f like a discography of like fifteen, not fifteen, maybe ten records ready to to rock, that are like, you know, in the box and can be. Um, remixed or um, mastered by anybody and be represent the body of work 10 of them like 10 kids you know ready to go out into the world and then I also like really know what what I am who I am and what I want to do mm -hmm. as a as a visual component you know that's not like how your face looks or whatever but like how do you want to dress and how do you want to move through the world and who do you whose team you rock with you know what energy do you want to put out in the world? Like when I'm at that place, then I would love to be like, what's the right label relationship for me to have like a five to seven year situation. Wait, so is your, is your government name Shana Shepard? It is such a mistake. Oh my yeah. God. So how do you separate your personal life from your artist's life? My bandmates say, uh, I am Shana Shepard now. Everybody's like, I am Shana Shepard. Mm. <laughs> like, but that's gotta be difficult. If you were just saying you need to understand, um, who you are and what you have to offer as an artist. And then you were saying you have a lot of baggage as a person. So, Did I say I had baggage? Kind of. You said you're trying to figure out your childhood. No, <laughs> I said I was. You're what? So I, you know you're... I didn't learn. I didn't hear Bag Lady by Erica Badu until I was like in my mid-20s. So do you know who, you're, who you are as a person then? Or is that something you're still, I guess you were always figuring that out. But you feel like you have like a happy place where you are right now as like a as person. As a person? Yeah. So you don't think it's like it's not too much to add your name as like an artist or is that difficult to like I think because I started I mean this is such a new time for me to even answer something like that. Yeah. I I was never Shana Shepherd an artist before like the past year and a two years. I was just Shana Shepherd in bands and working at the symphony and working and living my life, you know. It's just only been such a short time where I like see my name on stuff. Hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. I know who I am, though. And unfortunately, I feel like I've been pressed to, like, really focus on who who I am every day more so than than other people because of that component of it being my name. I have to look literally just just stay at home or focus on make sure that my energy is right when I walk and really make sure that my my relationships and my allegiances and connections are really clear because mm -hmm. it's like at the end of the day these choices are going to follow my name forever. Right. And it was just like, oops. I feel like I run into you across the street from places like all the time. I'm on the move. It's well, we're scene kids. That's why. Scene kids? Yeah. Like We're scene kids. Don't tell. Is that you talking about like those like emo people? No, not anymore. <laughs> no. Well, kind of. <laughs> I am not a scene kid. Okay. I feel like a scene kid is like. I seen you in public. <laughs> no, no, no. Seeing kid is like, where are you at? Like, where? where's the life? Where's the culture? Like, oh. wanting to be a part of it and like wanting to support it, but also just being cool. Just like. I mean, like music scene kids is what you're saying? I mean, it is music scene, but like, let's be bigger. It's not only music scene. Sometimes right. it's just the vibe. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's just the vibe. Okay. And those environments where there's like a lot of energy, like building stuff and like being a part of that, being a part of that, like as a, as like a. A right, you know. Got it. What time is it? Time to go. Really? Probably. Yeah, I think so. Shit. See, my podcasts go by really fast. Yeah, it was good. Um, 
we got a few more minutes. Um, oh. I'd love to have you back on sometime. Um, I'm trying to, whether as just an episode by yourself again, or what I'm also trying to do is start putting people together and yeah. like, you know, kind of being more of that, like that host slash mediator in some situations, which I think is pretty cool. We don't really see that that often on podcasts. Yeah. Um, so what, what what's next for you, Shana Shepard? Uh, next for me, I'm going on the road. I'm going to be opening for Lee Fields. Who's oh, yeah, so- I saw that. Vancouver. Yeah, Seattle, Showbox, Sparkit, and then Vancouver at the Aladdin Theater. Um, I'm sorry, Portland at the Aladdin Theater and Vancouver at the Commodore Ballroom. And then the next day, I'm flying down to the Bay Area and starting a 20-day tour with Josiah Johnson. Josiah is like a one of the founding members of Head and Heart, and he's like a really amazing songwriter. And That's crazy. So we're going to be out for a while, and then we're going to come back to, to Seattle a couple times. I'm going to fly back up to do um, a program with KXP that John Richards does every year. It's amazing at Town Hall on the 6th of November, and then I'll be back up again for Freak Out Fest with my full band, and then... Um, and then uh, the, as all, then the year ends, I guess, because uh, I'm going to do the Neptune Theater. I'm headlining at the Neptune with wow. Josiah and Cumulus and Fretland and some amazing, amazing pop-up performances by some great friends that, you know, I've always, it's just been a dream, like, to have, to fucking, I mean, playing at the Neptune. Like, yeah, that's crazy. That's wild. Wow. It's really, I feel so grateful. This is exciting stuff. Oh, yeah. And I'm a huge fan of Lee Field, so that's really cool to see. Come you. out the third, the 28th of October. 29th, sorry. Of 29th. October. You can, I'll give you yeah. some tickets. Hey, I'd love to go. You should come. Wow. That is awesome. I just love that his like style and that era that he kind of represents. Yeah. Like he Motown. is that. He yeah. is soul. Yeah. It's like, that's what I want to be aligned with is just like music is eternal and like we all are like, what's happening next? What's happening next? What's fresh? It's like, Maybe it's always happening. Maybe it's just always happening. Did you I, see Lady Ray when she was in town? Lady Ray. No, I don't know who that is. I just, no, I'm not yeah. ashamed. Tell me who. Tell me. Well, who. well, I'll tell you off the. Yeah, yeah. Really? She's oh, she's she's like one of my favorite artists. She's Lady Ray. You know Nicole Ray? No, she like had a song in the '90s. She was called Nicole, Nicole Ray. Work with Missy Elliott. Okay, you. I think you'll be blown away by her music. Then. Okay. Um, but uh. Yeah, this has been going. This has flew by. This episode. Um, what is some final advice that you have for up and coming artists, creators, influencers? Um, final advice: Take your time with every relationship because it's not about anybody giving you anything. You might be finding the key relationships and people for the rest of your life, the rest of your artistic journey of finding out who you are as you grow and try not to judge other people's art except from the lens of a curator Mm -hmm. because that'll help everybody form each other. It's how you get better. Like the best, not the best, but the most successful artists are able to create and curate without colonizing. Yeah. Like culture vulturing, you're saying? That counts colonizing a little bit? Culture vulturing? Yeah. That's kind of like yeah. maybe a, syn- a subcategory to colonizing. It can be, yeah. Cool. Just know yourself. I don't, you know, I don't care what color you are, what gender you align with today, or your sexual orientation. Just know who you are right now, and we can rock. There we go. Let's. Is this what people do? Yeah. Emo kids. Let's rock. I am not. I'm the farthest. You see kid. <laughs> see kid. <laughs> I'm the farthest from a scene kid <laughs> I've ever seen. Okay. Yeah, um, what is the easiest? <laughs> What is the easiest way for people to reach you? Oh, yeah. Uh, Instagram, Facebook. No, not Facebook. Sorry. Instagram, Twitter, uh, my website. I have like so if you like don't hate me right now because I feel like you would. On my website, I blog so much. I just like write about all the things (laughs) I think all the time. So you can just go ahead and take a look at that and not even you just be Seattle about it. Not even have to holler at a sister. But I hope that when I put more music out, people we'll give it a shot you know it's like definitely a a combination of a lot of my references and I don't I'm still trying to find I'd be honestly I think I'd be farther along if I could find more people 
who uh, make music like me, and that's why I travel so much because they there are people. Yeah, you know. So um, I'm just trying to connect the the train a little bit. Yeah, I think there's things we can connect on also. Yeah, I yeah. So. I know a lot of artists that I think would love to work with you and that can offer you stuff as well. So. I would love that. Yeah. I think I just get nervous about, you know, like yeah. somebody somebody walks up to you and says Black Sailor doesn't fuck with you on the street and you get a little nervous, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. You just should have hit him back with white power or something. You know? I mean, just... it was the day before the post is the thing. <laughs> so, um, Well, uh, yeah, this is uh, this has been the NAS podcast. Uh, well, that's a weird way to say it. This is... This has been the NAST podcast with um, Shada Shepherd. And we did it.